you are listening to the May 18th reading of the One Year Bible Plan in the New Living Translation. This is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake, and we're going to jump right back into the story of King David in 1 Samuel 22 and 23. If you'll remember where we left David, he's running for his life. He's at another kingdom, and uh, he gets worried that the king of this kingdom is, is going to try to make uh, make a uh, model out of him or humiliate him because of his reputation. So he, he is literally pretending to be insane, drooling down his beard. David is at a low point in life, and that is where we pick him up. Chapter 22, verse 1. So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who had just been discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. So <clears throat> pretty interesting. David has this band of misfits who just kind of slowly come to him. He's got like 400 people before he even knows it. That's how you know the guy is a naturally born anointed leader when he literally isn't even trying. And before you know it, he's got 400 men who are like, hey, we're here and we, we want you to lead us. That's amazing. Uh, obviously, that's not just man. That's God's anointing on a man. Verse 3. Later, David went to Mizpah and Moab, where he asked the king, Please allow my father and mother to live here with you until I know what God is going to do for me. So David's parents stayed in Moab with the king during the entire time David was living in his stronghold. One day, the prophet Gad told David, Leave the stronghold and return to the land of Judah. So David went to the forest of Hereth. The news of his arrival in Judah soon reached Saul. At the time, the king was sitting beneath the tarmas tree on the hill at Geba, holding his spear and surrounded by his officers. Listen here, you men of Benjamin, Saul shouted to his officials when he heard the news. Has that son of Jesse promised every one of you fields and vineyards? Has he promised to make you all generals and captains in his army? Is that why you have conspired against me? For not one of you told me when my own son made a solemn pact with the son of Jesse. You're not even sorry for me. Think of it. My son encouraging him to kill me as he is trying to do this very day. Then Doag the Edomite, who was standing there with Saul's men, spoke up. When I was at Nob, he said, I saw the son of Jesse talking to the priest, Amabek, son of Atabub. Amabek consulted the Lord for him. Then he gave him food and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. King Saul immediately sent for Amalbek and all his family, who served as priest at Nob. When they arrived, Saul shouted at him, Listen to me, you son of Atub. What is it, my king? Amalbek asked. Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me? Saul demanded. Why did you give him food and a sword? Why have you consulted God for him? Why have you encouraged him to kill me, as he is trying to do this very day? But sir, Amalbek replied, Is anyone among all your servants as faithful as David, your son-in-law? Why... He is the captain of your bodyguard and a highly honored member of your household. This was certainly not the first time I had consulted God for him. May the king not accuse me and my family in this matter, for I knew nothing at all of any plot against you. You will surely die, Amalbek, along with your entire family, the king shouted. And he ordered his bodyguards, kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me. But Saul's men refused to, look, to kill the Lord's priests. Then the king said to Doeg, You do it. So Doeg 
the Edomite turned on them and killed them that day, 85 priests in all, still wearing their priestly garments. Wow. You can see the insanity of Saul. He's literally killing the priests, the, the ones who are there to be the conduit between man and God. Uh, yeah, Saul, Saul is... If he wants the favor of the Lord, he's not moving in the right direction. It's a, a possessed man. Now, even his own soldiers were like, we're not, we're not doing that. Um, so he has to get the one guy who will, a guy named Doeg, terrible name, uh, and, and has him do it. And he kills 85 priests, still in their priestly garments. Just total profanity and blasphemy against God. Verse 19. Then he went to Nob, the town of the priest, and killed the priest's family, men and women, children and babies, and all the cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats. Only Abithar, one of the sons of Amalek, escaped and fled to David. When he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord, David exclaimed, I knew it. When I saw Doeg, the Edomite there the other day, I knew he was sure to tell Saul. Now I have caused the death of all your fam father's family. Stay here with me and don't be afraid. I will protect you with my own life. For the same person wants to kill us both. Chapter 23, verse 1. One day news came to David that the Philistines were at Keilah stealing grain from the threshing floor. David asked the Lord, should I go and attack them? Yes, go and save Keilah, the Lord told him. But David's men said, we're afraid even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Keilah to fight the whole Philistine army. So David asked the Lord again, and again the Lord replied, Go down to Keilah, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. Uh, you can just see the difference in David and Saul's leadership strategy uh, right there in those first four verses. Uh, what do we see Saul? Saul commanded that the people kill the priest, and they said, No, we don't want to do it. And Saul says, Okay, well, I'll get somebody else to do it. Like he's, he's forcing his will to go through. David, on the other hand, he prays. He feels like the Lord's calling him to go do something. So he tells his men, I think the Lord's asking us to go do this. His men say, um, no, we're scared. We don't want to do that. David could say, you're going to go. I am your ruler. I am your leader. Follow me. But he doesn't. He, he goes back to the Lord and he asks the Lord what the Lord would have him to do again. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I didn't hear the Lord. So he asked the Lord again. And in verse four, he gets his answer. The Lord again replied, go down to Keilah for I will help you conquer the Philistines. So David and his men went to Keilah. They slaughtered the Philistines and took all their livestock and rescued the people of Keilah. Now, when Abithar, son of Amalek, fled to David at Keilah, he brought the ephod with him. Saul soon learned that David was at Keilah. Good, he exclaimed. We've got him now. God has handed him over to me, for he has trapped himself in a walled town. You see just the, the, the narcissism of Saul. Like, after killing all the priests, he still thinks God is the one who is on his side, not David's side. It's just, it's ridiculous. He's He's gone insane himself. Verse 8, So Saul mobilized his entire army to march to Keilah and besiege David and his men. But David learned of Saul's plan and told Abiathar, the priest, to bring the ephod and ask the Lord what he should do. Then David prayed, O Lord God of Israel, I have heard that Saul is planning to come and destroy Keilah because I am here. Will the leaders of Keilah betray me to him? And will Saul come as I have heard? O Lord God of Israel, please tell me. And the Lord said, He will come. Again David asked, Will the leaders of Keilah betray me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, Yes, they will betray you. So David and his men, about 600 of them now, left Keilah and began roaming the countryside. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped, so he didn't go to Keilah after all. David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. 
one day near Horish, David received the news that Saul was on the way up to Ziphath to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home, while David stayed at Horish. But now the men of Ziph went to Saul and Gibeah and betrayed David to him. We know where David is hiding, they said. He is in the strongholds of Horish on the hill of Halakai, which is in the southern part of Jeshimon. Come down whenever you are ready, O king, and we will catch him and hand him over to you. The Lord bless you, Saul said. At last someone is concerned about me. Go and check again to be sure of where he is staying and who has seen him there. For I know that he is very crafty. Discover his hiding places and come back when you are sure. Then I'll go with you. And if he is in the area at all, I'll track him down. Even if I have to search every hiding place in Judah. So the men of Ziph returned home ahead of Saul. Meanwhile, David and his men had moved into the wilderness of Maon in the Ebra Valley, south of Jeshimon. When David heard that Saul and his men were searching for him, he went even farther into the wilderness to the great rock, and he remained there in the wilderness of Moan. But Saul kept coming after him in the wilderness. Saul and David were now on opposite sides of the mountain. Just as Saul and his men began to close in on David and his men, an urgent message reached Saul that the Philistines were raiding Israel again. So Saul quit chasing David and returned to fight the Philistines. Ever since that time, the place where David was camped has been called the Rock of Escape. David then went to live in the strongholds of En Gedi. That concludes our Old Testament reading. Now moving on to the New Testament, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Chapter 10, verse 1, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run, and when he sees a wolf coming, he will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he is working only for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as... My father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. 
Some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That concludes our New Testament reading. Beautiful picture Jesus paints for us. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life. That's why Jesus came. He came uh, not to be served, but to serve. Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten Son to die for the world, so that whoever might believe in him would have would not perish but have eternal life. And then 3.17 says, For Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Sent his Son to save the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That was a rough rough paraphrase there, but you got what I was saying. Uh, and we get that picture here. Jesus comes and, and lays down his life. Jesus died on the cross, uh, not because he couldn't stop them, but because he wouldn't stop them. He chose to pour out his righteous, perfect blood on our behalf. Why? Well, in that he exhausts the powers of evil and sin, and he pays the atoning price, the justice that must be paid for our sins to the God of this universe. And then he rises... On the third day, bursting forth as a sign of the new creation and victorious, decisive victory over evil and over death. And he says if we trust in him, we can join in that also. And that although we may die in this world, there will come a day in which we are resurrected as he was resurrected into the new kingdom. But it's not just about, you know, hey, you believe in Jesus, now wait till you die and wait for Jesus to come back, then it's all good. No. He says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one, I, I want to give you a fulfilling, a rich and satisfying life, as verse 10 puts it. That the Holy Spirit is in you now to empower you to your purpose. And you can begin to seek out what Jesus means when he says that his yoke or, or his work is easy and his burden is light. See, life has an easiness to it. Not that it is easy, but there's an ease to it. It shouldn't be hard to follow Jesus. You have to give everything up, but it's not hard to follow Jesus. It's like like somebody who's really good at playing the guitar. There's a rhythm to the way you live your life when you're with Jesus. Yeah. There's the past element. It's paid for. Your sins. There's the present element, which the Holy Spirit's working in you to give you purpose and peace, even right now, as you become more and more like Jesus and follow more and more in his pathway. Repenting. What does repent mean? It means to turn. To turn from your wisdom to his wisdom. Doing things his way, not your way. Then there's the future element in which we know one day, Everything will be made perfectly right again. We will be fully glorified or fully made like Jesus. And the world will be full of his presence. There will be no sin. Therefore, there will be no death or sickness or tears. And we cannot wait until that day in which he makes all things right. And even right now, we work on his behalf and with him to make things right in the world around us. And to continue to allow his spirit to make things right within us. This is the gospel that you can trust in today, my friends. This is the gospel we must trust in daily. And with that, we'll move on to our proverb of the day, which is Proverbs chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. A hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. A lazy person's way is blocked with, br- with briars, excuse me, but the path of the upright is an open highway. And now moving on to the psalm of the day. It will be Psalm 115. We will be reading the 115th psalm in a posture of prayer. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Why let the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. 
Their idols are merely things of silver and gold, shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, and noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, and feet but cannot walk, and throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. O Israel, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. O priest, descendants of Aaron, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. All you who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the people of Israel and bless the priests, the descendants of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both great and lowly. May the Lord richly bless both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. The dead cannot sing praises to the Lord, for they have gone into the silence of the grave. But we can praise the Lord, both now and forever. Praise the Lord. Lord, let us be people who praise you at all times. Lord, not turning to idols which cannot save, but turning to the gospel which has the power to transform and save us. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we pray that we would live in light of this transforming power today. Amen. Thank you for joining me, and I hope to see you back here tomorrow for another day of reading through the Bible together.